All right, we are in a series on um, the, the content of discipleship and the process as well. And uh, I have my chart. This is the old chart. We have an updated one. I'll, um, I put it on Facebook and there are some other places, but I'll get some down here as well. We began with the subflooring of grace, that favor of God that has to be the foundation of all that we do because otherwise we run into performance anxiety. Um, then uh, what I call the triplets of the faith, God's love giving us promises, that becomes our hope. And faith is then trusting. Faith's not this thing that you do, I'm going to work up my faith to make it go. Faith is trust. And the level of trust doesn't depend on the trust, it depends on the one who's being trusted, and that's God. Uh, Paul says that when faith becomes sight and the hope becomes there, uh, love will remain. So the greatest of these is love. Then the foundation of the ground, if the ground was here, uh, is lordship. That's the flooring of our faith. And that lordship is uh, committing because we trust in the Lord to obey him and to walk in his ways. Lordship is a struggle because of the world, the flesh, and the devil. We'll talk a little bit about that today. And then the, uh, the way in which we walk become the, if you will, the walls and the ceiling. The commandments of holiness, the commandments of righteousness, love God, love your neighbor, and the commandments of unity, love one another, that I think is the ceiling. Out of that then will ultimately be the roof that is the fruit of the Spirit, that which will be seen uh, in our lives. But to get there, we have to develop a biblical worldview, and we have to develop stewardship of, uh, of several types. And to do that, we need the spiritual disciplines. So we talked about the spiritual disciplines, uh, which is obedience to the Scriptures, approaching God in prayer, and today we're going to talk about the denial of self through fasting. I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. We've been in chapter 6. Each of these things are talked about in sequence by uh, our Lord in this, in this Sermon on the Mount. And uh, of course, in the Christian tradition, these things are read and talked about during Lent, that preparation up for Holy Week, uh, particularly Good Friday and the the crucifixion and then resurrection. In Judaism, it's this month that we're in now, Elul, which leads up to the high holy days of Yom Terah or Rosh Hashanah, that blowing of the shofar, and then Yom Kippur, which is the highest holy day in Judaism, and which is connected to Good Friday because of the idea of the atonement. I'll talk about that. But these three things doing the mitzvahs, doing the commandments, therefore a knowledge of the word, praying, which we talked about last time, and here fasting, we pick it up in chapter 6, verse 16. Whenever you fast, doesn't say if ever you fast, whenever you fast, uh, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance, so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, 
so that you were, your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now there's a commonality to all of these texts that we've been reading the last few weeks, and that is that Jesus is focused on this doing things before God and not before men because of hypocrisy. Now the hypocrisy that he's talking about is not the Pharisees, though there were hypocrites among the Pharisees. Uh, The struggle is between those who act the part in public and act the part in front of people and do nothing when they are not being watched. And those who the majority of their focus is to do it because that's who they are and then it may be seen by men as well. So Jesus is not saying whatever you do, do everything in secret so that nobody will ever know. He's saying that the hypocrites are the ones who do it to be seen. That's their focus is to be seen by men rather than to be seen by God. But those who fear the Lord, those who tremble before the Lord, do it because they know that God is seeing what they do. And whether they please men or don't please men is secondary in that sense. So it's important to keep that in mind, though I'm talking in a broader sense here. I'm going to talk about both the public and the private aspects, just as I did with the reading of Scripture and with prayer. So, when we look at these disciplines, we need to be mindful that the purpose of communal acts of prayer and doing of commandments and fasting are reinforcement of shared communal meaning. But if it's not part of your heart, if it's not really part of who you are when you're not in those sessions, then it becomes meaningless because you're simply doing it uh, for show. Or, I think some people do it out of compliance and peer pressure. They just do it because everybody else is doing it. Um, I commonly say that there are people who... Uh, can't tell the difference between a stampede and a revival. If everybody's doing it, it must be God, right? So they just go along with that framework. Now, it's important to understand that this subject of fasting, which is difficult for people who come out of a Baptist or a free tradition, if you come out of a liturgical or Reformed tradition, you're familiar with fasting. If you come out of a Baptist or... um, uh, a free tradition with some possible exception of Pentecostals where fasting is more uh, commonly taught. You just don't hear about it. Uh, and so uh, in our congregation, since we practice it, uh, it's, it's not something that you're unfamiliar with. So I want, though, for you to look at chapter 9 of Matthew, verses 14 to 17. This is an important text Uh, And I think it would be inappropriate to talk about fasting without looking at this. Because this verse is sometimes used by people for why they don't fast. And it's not, that's not the purpose of this text. So in 9 chapter 14, the disciples of John, now remember that John the Baptist had a group of disciples, some of them, Peter and Andrew, James and John, left John and became disciples of Jesus. 
but John still had disciples. And many of his disciples uh, followed Jesus, and some didn't because they were out of the area. And later, Paul is going to run into some disciples of John. These are people who are following this one who says the Messiah is coming and the day of the Lord is coming and you need to get your act together because uh, the Lord is going to make a way uh, into the kingdom. So in that context, some of John's disciples come to, to Jesus and they have a question for him because what Jesus' disciples are doing And what John's disciples and the Pharisees' disciples are doing don't match. And there are a lot of people who think that this verse is teaching that Christians are going to do things completely different and we're going to get rid of the old because Jesus fulfilled the old. That's not what this verse is saying. So they come to him and say, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples don't fast? And Jesus said to them, The attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? But the day will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and and then they will fast. But no one puts a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away and the garment uh, is torn. Worse. Nor do people put new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wineskins burst and the wine pours out and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into fresh wineskins and both are preserved. Now this is important. Jesus is about to address the foundations of what the Jewish religion is and bring it into the New Covenant context. It's the same commandments, but in a different application. In the Old Covenant, God said, here are the commandments, put them on your heart. And they can't be put on the heart, because the heart is deceitful. It's a problem. And so what the law could not do, Paul says, in that it was weak through the flesh... God sent His Son to condemn sin in the flesh so that we could obey the commandments. Because He was going to change the heart, put His Spirit inside, and in the New Covenant He says, I will write My commandments on their hearts. In other words, He's not saying you'll write the commandments on your heart because we can't do it. I'll write My commandments on the heart. Notice it's the same commandments. Jesus didn't die to get rid of the commandments. He got them so that instead of being external, they would be internal in the Spirit as we move towards the new covenant and the kingdom to come. Now the problem with that is that He changes our heart. He places His Spirit within us. But we've got the same old stinking bodies with their appetites and with their sin and with their drives and with all the things that are here and that's part of the struggle of lordship. So fasting in this context is not only about expressions of mourning but it will also be about expressions of self-denial in order to keep the flesh at bay as we grow in grace and in knowledge in that context. So, 
He gives two ideas here. The idea that if you just simply uh, take something that's not working and you just patch on the new to it, uh, it'll, it'll tear it. You can't simply do it in the same way. In, and so he also uses the wineskin notion. You can't use the old wineskin. The new wine is still processing and, it, and the old wineskin will rip. So you put it in new one. So he says, I'm doing with my disciples something new. I'm preparing them in a new context. When I am removed from them, and they are in this process as you are now, they will fast. So this is not saying that we shouldn't fast because we're disciples of Jesus. It's saying that the disciples were not fasting at the time because he was teaching them what they needed to know. But we know from the scriptures that they fasted once Jesus had ascended. So fasting is uh, important and it's an important part of new covenant thinking as well. So what is fasting? Well, fasting is abstaining from a, for a specific period of time from any indulgence of the bodily appetites. The primary ones we think of are food and water. But if you look at the scriptures carefully, you will see that fasting may also include the uh, abstinence of sex and the abstinence of sleep. In fact, if you are fasting, the fasting is done during the day. Prayer is substituted for that. There are times when Jesus and the disciples would pray all night, avoiding sleep and focusing on the Lord. It's a form of fast in that sense. Fasting is any taking of the appetites and suppressing them and replacing that with focus on the Lord so that we will be able to walk in Lordship. So fasting is done in preparation to meet God in convocation. There are times when God said, proclaim a fast for I'm going to meet with you in so many days. Fasting is also done in connection with prayer, as I just mentioned. And it's done in seeking God for intervention. So you remember in the book of Esther, she was going to go into the king. She might get killed. She said, I'm going to fast. You guys fast. And then we're going to ask God to intervene. And then I'll go in. So fasting is part of that. It is also part of repentance. And it is also part of mourning. Uh, and so there's a number of uh, aspects to this. not going to be able to address all of them. Uh, but I do want to talk about it in uh, the same way that I've talked about the reading of Scripture and praying. Communal, that would be congregational. Household and then personal. So, uh, fasting is done in full or in part. That is, it can be one item like food or it can be complete fast um, or the absence uh, from meat or from wine or one of those things. It can be done for various timings. Some people fast only during daylight. Sometimes fasting is from sunset to sunset, like on Yom Kippur. Sometimes fasting is for three days, sometimes for a week. And there are biblical texts of fasting, particularly of Jesus, for 40 days. Now, uh, Linda and I know someone uh, who she used to work with who actually did a 40-day fast 
and at a dinner talked to us about what that process was. It was fascinating. I've never had the ability to, to try to fast that long. But I understand this spiritual discipline is much broader than most of us uh, experience. So, I want to talk about uh, it at three levels. Congregational or communal. Household, because we've been talking about that. And then individual. So we'll start with communal fasts. There are fasts found in both Judaism and Christianity that are done by the community. In that sense, they are public. Remember, public doesn't mean out in front of people. It means gathered. We are gathered today. This is what the Bible refers to as public. In front of the, the brothers and sisters. Okay? Private is in your home or in your closet. Public is in congregation. Not out in there. That's a different sense of public. Okay? So, they are usually done at the holy days. And the Bible talks about the fast of the fourth month and the seventh month and the tenth month. A number of, of these fasts. We're not going to talk about all of them. Uh, but they are tied to both weekly and holy day context. So we're going to start with the weekly one. It's the one that we probably have the least familiarization with. I'd like you to turn with me to Luke chapter 18. And we're going to look at verse 12. Now this is a passage that you know very well. This is the uh, parable where Jesus talks about two men who went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, why did Jesus use a Pharisee and a tax collector? Because in Jesus' day, the height, you don't always get this by listening to Christians, the height of obedience to God was understood to be the Pharisees. Not the priests, the Pharisees. And the Pharisees themselves write terrible things about the hypocrites among them. So when Jesus picks up that thing about the hypocrites among the Pharisees and scribes, he's saying exactly what they say about some of their members. But the general view of the Pharisees was they were the most obedient people within the community. Who was the least obedient? Tax collectors. They were tied to the Romans. They were sometimes dishonest. They were uh, their own. They were taxing their own people. So they were seen as really outcasts. Okay. So Jesus is saying both of these guys go to pray. We would assume the one who is the tax collector is going to be seen. And the Pharisee is doing it because he's righteous. Jesus is going to turn the tables on that. So he says, the Pharisee stood and was praying this. God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. Okay? You see the self-righteousness? This is not obeying God out of humility. This is becoming holier than thou, comparing ourselves to another person. 
I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. So look at me, God. You owe me. The tax collector standing some distance away, unwilling to even lift his eyes to heaven, which is the normal thing, but beating his breast, which is done in Judaism on Yom Kippur, and is done at every Catholic Mass in the Christian tradition uh, about sin. Uh, he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Humility before God. A knowledge that I am unworthy to stand. Know before whom you stand. Right Now, notice he says, I fast twice a week. At the time of Jesus... And this goes back really to the time of Ezra. It became common for those who were religious in a liturgical sense to fast twice a week. The traditional days for that fasting, according to Jewish sources, and we see here in the Gospels as well, which I consider a Jewish source, uh, was Monday and Thursday. So on the uh, second day and on the fourth day of the week, they would uh, fast. Now these were probably daylight fasts. Not 24 hour fasts, but daylight fasts. So, we find in the Didache, which is a very early Christian document regarding Gentiles in the faith, that they were s- suggested that those Gentiles who follow Yeshua, or Jesus, engage in fasting twice a week, but not on Monday and Thursday, which is the day of the hypocrites. Now, be careful here. They're not saying the day of the Jews. They're saying among those who fast on Monday and Thursday is this group of hypocrites, like the Master talked about, What we want to do is a new wineskin. We want to do this in a new context. But we're still doing the same thing. The two days of fasting. And the days they chose were Wednesday, which is a partial fast. And Friday, which is a complete fast. And that is still done in the Orthodox churches. And still listed on their uh, prayer days to to a, a partial fast on Wednesday, and a complete fast on Friday. Now, why Wednesday and Friday? Because those are the days associated in Christian tradition with the death of Jesus. Some think he died on Wednesday. Some think he died on Friday. Those days get tied together, and so those days become part of that tradition. So, uh, the argument of the early believers was that fasting should be a regular uh, time, weekly uh, process, and the days that became traditional among the Gentile believers was Wednesday and Friday. So, that weekly fast is, uh, that's about all I have to say about it. But let me move on to the Holy Days fast, and the one that I want to talk about the most is the one that's coming up on us, which would be Yom Kippur. The fast connected with the the various biblical holy days, the one that is the most significant is the fast of Yom Kippur. So I want you to look at uh, Leviticus chapter 16. 
Leviticus chapter 16, verse 29, says, This shall be a permanent, notice this doesn't change, permanent statute for you in the seventh month. That's the month following Elul. That's the, the next month that we're about to enter in. On the tenth day of the month, you shall humble your souls. Humbling the souls or afflicting the soul is the phrase that Judaism uses for fasting. Okay, And notice that that's the whole issue in Jesus talking about the difference between that Pharisee that was a hypocrite and the, uh, the uh, justified tax collector. He says, you are to humble your souls and do no work, whether the native or the Gentile who sojourns with you. For it is on this day that atonement shall be made for you to cleanse you. You will be clean from all your sin before the Lord. It is to be a Sabbath of solemn rest for you that you may humble your souls. It's a permanent statute. Now, it's important to understand something. On the day of atonement, the people of Israel do not gather at the temple. They will gather at the Feast of Booths. But the priest is going to do something on their behalf. The high priest is going to go in and make atonement for them. And so what they must do is humble their souls. Afflict their souls. Not work and not eat and not drink. In other words, they take a complete fast as they humble themselves that God will be effective through the high priest for their atonement. Notice that it includes the Gentile. Now I want you to look at one more passage. Leviticus 23, verse 27. In this text, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, On the tenth day of this seventh month is the day of atonement, It shall be a holy convocation for you, and you shall humble your souls and present an offering by fire to the Lord. You shall not do any work on this day, for it is a day of atonement to make atonement on your behalf before the Lord your God. If there is any person who does not humble himself on this day, he shall be cut off from the people. Any person who does work on that day, I will destroy from among the people. It's, you shall do no work at all. It is a perpetual statute through your generations in all your dwelling places. It is a Sabbath of complete rest to you. And you shall humble your souls on the ninth of the month at evening, sundown. From evening to evening, you shall keep your Sabbath. Now, Notice that it's a convocation, which means all of Israel is supposed to participate in this. They're not doing the temple part. They're doing the humbling of their souls. This is why for Judaism, gathering on Yom Kippur, fasting the entire day, and humbling themselves before God is important. And it is important for us as well. But in Christianity... The view of the book of Hebrews seems to indicate that the fulfillment of the, at least the first part of what the high priest did was done on what we would call Good Friday or the Wednesday, whichever that is, the day of the crucifixion. So in Christian tradition, 
The day of the crucifixion is the day of atonement. We have the resurrection. Then we have 40 days. Jesus ascends as our great high priest. Enters into heaven, the scripture says, with his own blood and not with the blood of bulls and goats. In other words, he is the atonement. He is the high priest of the better covenant. And therefore, Christian tradition fasts on Good Friday or Wednesday, whatever day that Christian group uh, observes as the day of the crucifixion. Notice that both Jews and Christians are doing exactly the same thing related to the same notion of atonement. That is why in our congregation, we uh, recommend fasting on Good Friday and on Yom Kippur. When I read this and saw that it included us, and when at Westminster we did the high priest service that you have almost all seen, uh, we noticed something about the Day of Atonement that is not completely fulfilled because Jesus did something no high priest has ever done. He applied the blood to the, to the mercy seat and then he sat down at the right hand of God. For God said to him, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And so Jesus hasn't fulfilled all of the day of atonement yet. He's got to come back and cleanse the sanctuary and establish the throne of David and sit on it and be married, which is his bride, the, the church. So all of that still has to be done. He's not reigning in heaven the Father is reigning in heaven. He's the high priest sitting at his side. And when he comes back, he will be Christ the victorious. And he will then rule and reign over the nations. So, I think there's still more to be seen in the Day of Atonement. So, in our congregation, we uh, uh, try to recommend that you observe the fast on both Yom Kippur and on uh, uh, Good Friday. We know what the real substance of the fast is. It's not about not eating and not drinking. It is about the denial of the flesh and the appetites, which is, in effect, denying yourself and taking up your cross and following Him. And as we follow Him, now we care for the widow, we care for the poor, and we do those good things, which would not be our normal thing to do, but are the commandments now written on our hearts that we will do it out of gratitude to God for what He's done for us. Not earning our salvation, but expressing our salvation. So, really important, we'll talk about that on Yom Kippur, Isaiah 58, uh, which talks about the real fast, which is the denial of self for the benefit of another. So, what about household Patterns. I believe that a, that a religious household should also include patterns of scripture reading, patterns of prayer, and patterns of fasting. It is not easy to establish those. We've talked about the struggle with establishing Sabbath, with doing the prayers, with acknowledging the holy days in our homes. Uh, but I think it's worth the effort of dusting ourselves up, picking it up and trying it again, m moving in that direction. Uh, household fast certainly can be connected to the communal fast. Uh, 
But also, households may have additional gathered times of fasting when they are praying for somebody in the family or someone in the household with, with uh, specific needs. We, we also know that there are called fasts by households and by individuals in the scriptures. And we see this through the book of Kings and particularly in the book of Esther. So I think we should engage in patterns of limited fasting also in the time of Lent. And we do it in the Feast of Unleavened Bread when we're trying to avoid leaven, which is almost impossible, right? So this calling of prayer and fasting, and they are often found together, is tied to our mourning when we go through grieving processes, repentance when we are turning from our sin, when we are seeking God for protection, and as reinforcement to prayer. In some sense, what fasting is when we tie it to prayer is saying, God, I don't care about that which sustains my body. I need you to sustain my spirit. And we see that all through the scriptures. And then there are personal patterns of fasting in the same way that there are fasting and prayer, prayer uh, patterns. Uh, much of our fasting, according to this passage that we looked at, should be done before God. We don't want to come walking in. What's wrong with you? Oh, I'm fasting. You know, it's not that kind of thing. Uh, Jesus said, uh, wash your face, anoint your head. Don't give the appearance of fasting. Okay? Um, because you're doing it before the Lord in that, in that kind of context. I, I have noticed some people who I know engage in personal fasting with some regularity, that they simply find a way to be gone during mealtimes. Then, then somebody says, why aren't you eating, right? I mean, the worst thing that can happen is you go to lunch with everybody, you're fasting, and they're not, and they're going to, they're gonna, what are we going to do? If you come from an Italian, a Greek, a Spanish... Uh, any of the Mediterranean cultures, right? You're going to, you need to eat. Oh, you look terrible. You need to eat, right? You're going to push that. So you have, you sometimes you just have to, if you have to go in your closet to pray, you may have to go into another place, uh, during the mealtime for the fasting. And a lot of people use the mealtime as a time of prayer when they're, when they're fasting. Uh, so, uh, the majority of our fasting should be private. And seen by God. Both Judaism and Christianity though have rules to protect people from hard fasting based on age and medical condition. I'll give you the general guidelines. Specific churches will treat it different. In most cases, children under the age of six are not under any obligation to fast. And people from 60 and older are not required. That doesn't mean they can't. It means they're not required. During pregnancy, or if you have a medical condition that would cause, it would be aggravated, maybe you're on certain medications and fasting or not drinking water would be a problem, you are not required to do that. In those cases, people do partial fasts or limited time fasts, and that, that's okay. Because this is, remember that the fasting is in some part symbolic of the spiritual struggle that's really going on. And so this is not about uh, putting yourself in danger. 
I think the discipline of fasting should be engaged in systematically and developmentally. You want to ease yourself into this. I think I've told you my terrible first experience with fasting. Uh, in Youth for Christ, when we were going to be spiritual, we went up to Holy Jim Canyon, which is where the fire broke out, the campground up there by Holy Jim Falls, and decided that we were not going to eat. We were going to sing songs and praise God for three days, and we were going to fast from Saturday, Friday night sundown till Sunday night sundown. And we got set up Friday afternoon, and we were doing great, had our guitars out, and then everybody in the camp area started turning on their barbecues. And so we played our guitars more and tried to get through this. It was awful. It was just awful. And finally, we popped a hubcap off of his car, Glenn's car, and we put water in it from the creek, and we found in the back of his car a half-used box of Uncle Ben's converted rice, and we dumped that into that thing, and we cooked that rice, and it was the best-tasting rice I have ever had in my life. And then we drove down the hill totally in defeat, because Friday night we got back to our places going. We are scumbags when it comes to spiritual disciplines. Now, we put ourselves in a place that, first of all, we didn't know what we were doing. We didn't know how to do it. We didn't know where to do it. And that can give you a bad experience. So I think that this needs to be introduced to the children systematically, carefully, and with a focus on what we are trying to do and not on the, I went longer than you did without eating kind of thing, which is what what we had done. Um, so when when the fire broke out in, in uh, Holy Jim Canyon, I, I had a memory of my own disaster in that in that area. So uh, personal patterns can begin with communal fasts and then move to more personal habits, uh, weekly, monthly, and situational. Consider partial food and water or certain foods. Or uh, abstaining from dairy is a common one, uh, or wine. Now remember, nobody's going to jump you if you do this for dietary purposes, but if you do it for religious purposes, they're going to think you're nuts. Okay, So you've got to be careful about how you talk about this. Um, do partial and full times. Some people uh, just fast from 9 to 3, so they're really taking out the noon meal. Some people take out the evening meal. Some people take out the morning meal. Now, not doing it because you don't eat that anyway. It's got to be something that you're actually struggling with uh, in that frame. I could easily fast almost every breakfast and, and say I'm spiritual. But the truth is, I'm not much of a breakfast eater as it is, right? Uh, so, uh, but I, I'm always hungry for breakfast when I'm traveling. I don't know what that's about, right? It's a different kind of deal. So, uh, I think uh, the, that as we do this, it is helpful for us to talk to one another about the struggle and the process, not for the purpose of comparing ourselves to each other, but for the purpose of bringing about a pattern of instruction that we can use as a congregational guide, as a household guide, and as an individual guide, particularly as we're teaching the children. So, uh, that's all of that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll do Q&A.